0: Now, keep that in prayer through the week. Throughout the week, those of you, certainly many of you will be here. But if you're not um, a part of VBS team, pray for them every day when you wake up. Let me let that be my challenge to you. And uh, we'll have a wonderful uh, celebration, a wonderful celebration next week. Now, uh, let's transition into our, our scripture lesson this morning. It comes from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Uh, for For a lot of you, these words are going to be very familiar. These are the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. These are the last words that Matthew records that Jesus speaks to his disciples uh, prior to his ascension. We have a fuller story of this in Acts, but this is Matthew's um, retelling of those events. And this is essentially the scripture that, that is often described as the church's marching orders. Churches have creative ways to talk about mission. We do it. Most churches do it. Uh, Ours go uh, connecting people with the life changing power of Jesus Christ. Um, There's just a number of ways churches will describe their mission. But here's the truth they're all roughly the same. They're all rough. They're they're unique ways to say the same thing because Jesus gives us the marching orders. And it's found here at the end of, of Matthew. And while that is usually the focus we're going to look at a little different this morning. But, but let's, before we get to that, let's read the scripture. Beginning at verse 16, Matthew chapter 28. This is what we read. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, those marching orders, therefore, go, make disciples, baptize, teach everything I have commanded. Those are the church's marching orders, and these are the words of God. Friends, let us pray. Lord, that you would speak to us in these moments through your Holy Spirit and the challenge and shape and call us according to your plan, your purpose, for for each of us as we are part of the church, called to go, to serve, to make, to baptize, to teach, to be about the work of Christ. That is our prayer. Take these moments and do with us as you would. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. So again, usually Matthew 28, that's the, the focus of, of, of a message. Most of the time when I preach Matthew 28, it, it focuses on those words, go, make, teach, baptize, these, these mandates of the church, these things that we're called to do, many of the things that will be happening this week at Vacation Bible School. But what I want to do this morning is I want to focus not just on the mandate, but in the name of which the mandate is given. And that is the name, who the, the one whose name we serve, teach, and baptize. And that is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Today is Trinity Sunday. It's, it's the Sunday, it's the first Sunday after Pentecost where the church often focuses on, on our understanding of, of this trifold nature, the three persons of who God is: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I began to make kind of an 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 interesting connection in my head anyway this week. I started to think about Vacation Bible School, obviously, and what happens in this room. This is the hub of Vacation Bible School. This is where everything starts and ends um, each night, and and starts with songs, and ends with songs, and prayer, and and really a, a time of worship. And it's interesting watching the kids and some of the adults as they worship, because like us, there's prayer, There's there's, um, lessons, so there's kind of a head knowledge. There's some teaching. And and like us when we worship, there's a prayer that there's an experience, an experience of God's presence and God's joy and God's peace. So you've got a a head uh, experience of of worship. You've got a heart experience of worship. But there's an extra part of worship that uh, isn't often present in, in our worship services. And that is worship begins to affect the feet. There's dancing. It's crazy and wild, and sometimes we have to try to contain it. But it's, it's worship that begins to affect the feet. And this is where most of us don't experience worship. And that's not a criticism. That's not saying that worship is culturally um, embodied. And those of you that have traveled and worshipped in other cultures and other parts of the world know that. The way we worship is not the way they worship in Africa. It's not the way they worship in Cuba. It's not the way they worship in Asia. And it shouldn't be because it's culturally located and it speaks to, to the way that we experience God. But for most of us, in Protestant churches anyway, unless you kind of come out of a Pentecostal background, we don't dance. We might raise a hand. we clap, those of us that can keep a rhythm, but we usually don't dance. Now... Over the weeks that are to come, I want to be able to share a little bit of my experiences in Kenya with you as they fit and as I can kind of um, use them in ways that speak to the truth of our, of our faith. Um, and, and so I'm going to go deeper in this in the weeks to come but, but one of the things that, that caused this connection with VBS was that worship in Kenya is head, is heart, and is feet. We worshiped each Sunday, there was, there was there were two Sundays, uh, one in the inner city of Nairobi with a church, and I'm going to show a clip in just a moment, just a snippet of it, that is a megachurch, thousands of people. Um, it, was, it was worship under tents, not kind of flimsy tents, but really hard-shell tents uh, because the, the temperature in Nairobi and in Kenya is fairly moderate year-round, so they don't need air much. Um, and they don't need heat. So it was, it was these outside, for a lot of political reasons they do this that I won't necessarily get into. But they told us when we went, they said, be prepared to dance, which I went, <laughs> great. Because um, <laughs> I'm so fluid on my feet. And, uh, and the second week, we, we worshipped out with the Maasai people into tribal lands out, outside Nairobi, smaller worship service, different, uh, more in the native tongue, but... Dance just as much a part of worship, and so I started to think about the way that that worship is embodied there, which was a trifold nature: head, heart, and feet. And I wanted to show you just a little clip, just to give you a sense of what I'm talking about. So, Cassie, if you can kind of show the video, and this will let you kind of get a glimpse of what worship was like. Together, I do That's just a piece. That went on for 45 minutes. I'm not good. Yeah, yeah, you can get, we'll talk to John and Sam, see if you guys can do choreography. Um, for 45 minutes, that was, now it was interesting, worship, because, you know, you looked at that, and if you saw, you saw, hey, there's a pretty lot of empty chairs. That was right at the very beginning. For an hour, people are coming into worship. By the time they got to the sermon, that place was packed. It was amazing to see. 45 minutes in the pastor of Nairobi Chapel stands up and he says, all right, now we're going to begin worship. And I went, what? <laughs> at 12, we, had, uh, we go all the way to Nairobi to hear a guest preacher from Idaho. At 12.10, he stood up to preach. He finished at 1.15. 65 minutes, and let me tell you, it was a great 20-minute sermon. Um, (laughs) I'm teasing I'm teasing There were some great great things he said I'm I'm just chosen with you but 65 minutes of sermon I thought you remember that when you think I'm getting a little long Um, but it was just it was but it was wonderful it was wonderful and to watch that I'm glad the camera didn't pan back to where we were because I wasn't filming that to see us because they looked great dancing we not so much um, but it was this, but it was this idea that I started to wrestle with that, that is all a part of this—an experience of worship, an experience of, of offering our praise to God. That again, and, and, and the, the, the reoccurring mantra Emma, was head, heart, and feet. And and I started to think of that, kind of in relationship this morning to this understanding of of God as Trinity, this Trinity Sunday when, as a church, we celebrate the three persons of the Godhead. One God experienced in the three natures of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is a truth and it is a teaching of faith that we cannot fully grasp. Let, let's, let's, let's name that to begin. There's a lot of ways, and, and when we teach confirmation, Julie and I or Joe and I, when we teach confirmation uh, to our youth, it is one of the hardest lessons. Because it, it, it's beyond our full ability to comprehend, because we think individually and uniquely, so we hear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we think three distinct entities. But our faith teaches us they are three three persons of one God. And over the years, preachers and teachers have tried to come up with images for that. In, in Ireland, you know, the shamrock. Um, I've heard farmers talk about the root, the shoot, and the fruit. You know, these three parts. But, but, but hear me say, all of them are ultimately inadequate. All of them fall short to fully grasp this, this mystery of God and, and who he is. But it does begin to, to speak very deeply, and I think in a, in a way that's a little easier for, to, for us to understand, the ways that we experience God, the ways that we come to know God and have a relationship with God as father Son and Holy Spirit. And I began to frame that again through this experience of worship, of head, of heart, and of feet. And so let's let's unpack for a moment um, Trinity. Let's talk about what what that means for us. Well, first, and and we affirm it. We affirm it in our in our creeds. Uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in his only Son, and in His Son, Jesus our Lord. Um, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, so we affirm that in our faith. We talk about it frequently when I close in worship, most often I close in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and speaks to the, this, this encounter that we have with God. It, interestingly enough, wasn't something that was fully developed until the third century, 300 years almost after the life of Christ, that we begin to talk about Trinity, and while the, te- while the word trinity is not biblical, the understanding very much is. And that's what we have in Matthew 28. Baptize in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So how do we understand Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Well, let's talk about God the Father. This, for me, friends, I think is the easiest experience of God for us to, to understand. And it speaks to the head knowledge of God. This is our understanding of God who is earth maker. In New Zealand, they sometimes describe Trinity as God who is earthmaker, Jesus who is pain taker, and the Holy Spirit who is life giver. And God as earthmaker, Father, the one who is above and over all things, omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. This is the God that is the, the concept of God, not the God, but the concept of God that is worshipped across many, many faiths. The one who has put everything into motion. Genesis says God spoke and all that is came into being. It is, is the God that, that we can it, receive very often and experience when we look upon the majesty of all that has been created. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you've just been so overwhelmed with the beauty of creation that you experience and you feel the presence of God? That's God the Father. That's maker. When we were... In Africa, the last couple days, which I'll talk about later, um, down weeks to come, uh, we were out with the, the, the Maasai, which is a tribe, and, and a tribe indigenous to that area. And we were 30, 40 miles from civilization. And when I tell you that we took a road to get there, road is a very loose term. I mean, it was a trail, maybe. Um, It was through the savannas of Africa, but we got out there. We were in the shadow, if you will. On a clear day, you could see Mount Kilimanjaro, and we're out there, and at night, I have never seen stars brighter in my life. It was gorgeous, and I look up, and it just, to me, it testifies to creator. I have the hardest time, in my own understanding, uh, 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 rationalizing how somebody looks at that and thinks that was an accident. And and that's the, the concept of God that most of us can begin to identify with, the God who's spoken, all that is, who is the creator of all things, who is above, over, and beyond us in many ways. And that becomes the danger if that is our singular understanding of God. Because that God, as powerful as he is, can very often seem very remote to us. Very distant. It is hard to, to fathom sometimes the God who created all of this. All that is could be invested in us. Could care about our lives, our stories, our experiences, our challenges with the vastness of, of who he is. You ever, you ever look down from like a plane at 30,000 feet and realize how small the world seems? You know, how, how it seems so insignificant in many ways from that kind of distance. And I think a danger when that is our only understanding of God is that we run the risk of of feeling that we're insignificant in that. And we approach that God or that limited understanding of God very timidly. The uh, the story I I came across of David Edgeworth. David Edgeworth, Sir David Edgeworth, was a a geologist and an explorer in the turn of the century. And he went with, um, oh, I'm going to blank on the gentleman's name, but he went on some expeditions to the Antarctic. And one of those expeditions, he was there with one of his um, assistants, uh, um, uh, Douglas um, Mawson was his name, the assistant. And Douglas Mawson is in his tent one night there in the Antarctic, and he's working, taking notes, recording the events, and he hears this voice, and it says, are you busy right now? And he immediately recognizes the the, the voice of, of David Edgeworth, Sir Edgeworth, and he's he is busy, and he says, yes, I'm, I'm really busy right now. And a moment passes, and he asks again, no, are you really busy right now? And he irritates, says, yes, I'm really busy right now. What do you want? He says, well, I've fallen in a crevice, and I don't think I can hold on much longer. <laughs> and he gets up, and he runs, and he sees David Edge, who has fallen and is holding on for dear life. And he's able to rescue him and pull him out, but he's literally moments from death when he's rescued by his assistant. Now, here's the the, the thing that blows my mind about the story. The timidity in which he approached him. Most of us, if that was us, we would be, I wouldn't care how busy you were. I'm bothering you at that moment. I need help. But he, even in that moment, felt hesitant to approach even his assistant. Now, for me, I think when we, when we have a very limited understanding of God, when we're not understanding the fullness of how we experience God, we can be timid in approaching God, the God of all that is, the God who is Father above all. How can I approach Him? How can I approach Him? That is what happens when our understanding of God is limited to our head knowledge. Fortunately, that's not who God is. There's a second part of the Trinity. That's Jesus the Son, and this is the heart. Not just the the part that touches our heart, but Jesus is the one who reveals to us the heart of God. The one who came so that we would understand God does care about your life and my life. He is deeply invested because in Jesus we see the very nature of God. We see the character of God. We see the God who invites the children to come so that he can bless them. We see the God who comes into the city of Jerusalem and doesn't go first to the holy and high places but goes to the low places where the afflicted and the sick and the blind and the crippled and the hurting and the hungry are gathered and he blesses and he touches and he receives and he loves. The one who calls sinners friends and says, I have come not for the well but for the sick for it is the sick that need the doctor. That's the heart of it. The one who challenges the self-righteous and the religious authorities, which may ought to make all of us a little uncomfortable because most of us are in the religious community. But that shows the heart of God that is deeply invested in our lives, that cares deeply, that has brought us close when we feel he's up there and too far to reach. He pulls us in. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.18, it is through God that he has reconciled us to himself in Christ. It is God who has reconciled himself to us in Christ. In um, the, the middle part of the, the century, I, I told a few months ago, I told you the story of the missionaries that went to the Aka people in South America who were killed. Um, Nicholas Saint and uh, Jim Elliott, who were who were slaughtered there in South America with others. And their wives, you may remember if you're here, and their wives went back and continued their missionary work and led many of those villagers, many of those warriors. Some of the men who killed their husbands led them to Christ. Well, I, I came across another story, which I had not heard before, but it was a few years after those events, you, you know, if you're familiar with the work of, of missionaries, that very often one of the things they do, if they're able, is they begin to translate the scriptures into the indigenous languages so that people in all parts of the world can read the scriptures. And a lot of missionaries are engaged in that kind of work. I cannot fathom the work of translating the entire Bible into another language. But that's, that's what they very often do. And so these missionaries were there with the, the Aka people, And they were translating, and they got to that scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.18, for God has reconciled himself to us in Christ. And they couldn't find a native word for reconcile. They couldn't come up with a word, and those of you that speak different languages, I know a lot of us don't, but some of you may, um, know how, you know, translations are never clean, they're never never easy. Um, There's always challenges with the nuances of language. They couldn't find the word reconcile. So they're out one day walking with some of the elders of the tribe, and they get to this deep ravine. They have no way to cross. They think, well, our, our journey's over. Except some of the, the tribesmen, some of the elders, took their machetes, and they took down a tree so that the tree fell over the ravine so they could cross the tree, kind of made a bridge. And they realized, one of the, 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 the missionaries realized that the, they had a word in their language for tree over the ravine. And that became their word for reconcile. Jesus became the bridge, the tree that allowed us to approach God or allowed God to pull us close to Him. That is the heart of God that desires that relationship with us. The head, Father. The heart, Son. But the difficulty for a lot of us is that's where it stops because there's a third part of our experience with God that very often is the hardest for us to submit to and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit that becomes the feet of God I had a hard time dancing in worship not because I didn't want to because I couldn't submit to the music because I was self conscious because I know I don't have a lot of rhythm I felt people would be looking they didn't care but I felt they'd be looking you know, I had a hard time. I held something back. That's why I couldn't fully embrace that. I wanted to. I loved it. But I just wouldn't allow myself to. Because it meant I had to fully submit to the experience. God says to us that when I experience you, there's a third part, and that is Holy Spirit, which is the work that comes, t- that is work of God in you. It is the work of God through you. The day of Pentecost, which was the celebration last week, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Their lives are transformed. But the work of the Holy Spirit always moves us to do something. The disciples who f- left that upper room and began to proclaim Jesus, tell his story, the Holy Spirit moves. It is God's work that changes, that guides our steps, that, that moves our feet. And this is where a lot of us just hold back. This is where a lot of us kind of, kind of, because we have to let go and allow God to work in that. And this is the challenge that most of us have. Many of us have. This is the challenge I have. It is a powerful thing when you see and you encounter the stories of men and women who have allowed the Holy Spirit to guide their feet, have been willing to dance. A little third grade girl was doing a report on electricity, and she wrote General Electric. And asked him, would you please send me every piece of literature you have on electricity? And oh, could you send me a sample of electricity too? Could you send me a sample? Well, the Holy Spirit is the electricity. It's the electricity. It's God saying, I am at work, not just here, not just here, but here and here. It becomes the hands and feet of Jesus that we are called to be baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the one who has created, the one who has redeemed, and the one who sustains and uses and guides our steps. I know God spoke my challenge. i got to learn to let go a little bit more. I don't know that I'm ever going to dance and worship. Maybe someday. But I can live the dance can live the dance I can allow the Holy Spirit to move me I can stop holding back of where he will lead me and we can become the hands and feet of God Lord of the dance head heart and feet brothers and sisters where do you need to hear to feel and to be that's our challenge let's pray Gracious Lord, we can't fully grasp the mystery of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we certainly know how we experience who you are. A truth and a power and a presence that touches our head, speaks to our heart, and guides our feet. Lord, help us to submit to you, to triune God, and to be engaged fully in the ministry to which we've called, the service which we are and have been prepared for in the love that we're called to share. God, is in all things, help us to let go and to join the dance. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.